How are you, Jane? Have a listen to this. Adam and you, Jane. Yeah. Yo, Jane. <laughs> What'd you bring that up for? Oh, I just thought it fitted nicely with our episode today. Yo, Jane. Is this workplace bullying? Tick, tick. Stuff 2020. Election. Podcast. Howdy my, welcome. This is Tick Tick Stuff's 2020 election podcast for Wednesday, the 2nd of September. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham, not Yo Jane. Tena koutou katoa. We bring you the news and some of the more unusual things about this election, and then we slow things down to focus on one particular topic. There are 45 days until the election. Hmm, yeah, so as you heard at the top, Adam and I have had our fair share of dealings with politicians over the years. That particular clip was from our Coronavirus NZ days, which is the precursor to this podcast, when we interviewed the then national leader, Simon Bridges. And there was a bit of the recording where he was checking our names with his press secretary, and he got a bit sort of carried away with my name, I suppose. Ah, uh, the memories. So the point is, actually, I don't know if there really is a point exactly. It's just that later on, we talked to someone about Bridges' accent, and it seemed a good excuse to roll out an old favourite of mine. But anyway, politicians are constantly under the microscope being examined for how they communicate, how they deal with the public, how they talk even. Uh, the, these are the things that the public look for when they're deciding how to vote. So we've had a chat with Dr. Claire Robinson, a professor at Massey University, who's an expert in political communications and author of Promises, Promises, 80 Years of Wooing New Zealand Voters. That's later in the show. But first, Yaojing, what's been happening? Definitely workplace bullying. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and National Leader Judith Collins have gone head-to-head in Parliament for one of the last times of this parliamentary term. Collins was grilling Ardern about the confusing coronavirus testing messaging that went out last weekend. You might remember that was government social media and website posts that wrongly told everyone in West and South Auckland to go get tested. Auckland has now moved down to level 2.5, of course, although the number of cases still keeps going up. There were 14 new cases yesterday, five in the community and nine in isolation. Greens co-leader James Shaw has apologised for his part in approving the controversial $11.7 million of funding to a private school in Taranaki, calling it an error of judgement. National has continued to attack the government over the decision and has made an education announcement of its own, promising to spend billions repairing public schools. The government has announced the Christchurch mosque shooter has been designated a terrorist entity. So that's an official thing. It freezes any assets he may have and makes it illegal to support or promote his cause. I'm speaking directly to all New Zealanders today to give you as much certainty and clarity as we can as we fight COVID-19. Over the past few weeks... Remember that? It was a big day for New Zealand, March the 21st, when Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced the COVID-19 alert levels that have been shaping our lives ever since. And it was also a big moment in political communication history, if you like. It was a Saturday, the whole country had gathered in front of their screens to watch what was going to happen. It was a scary time. And most people will tell you it was a very polished performance from the Prime Minister. And since then... We've seen her fronting the 1pm news conferences, there's been evening Facebook live streams from her, plus media interviews. So is she actually a good communicator? And what makes a good political communicator anyway? And what about her opponents, especially National Leader Judith Collins? Hi Claire. Oh hi. 
yeah, we decided to ask an expert what they thought. Uh, Claire Robinson, Professor of Communication Design, Pro Vice-Chancellor, College of Creative Arts, Massey University. So it's become something of a cliche to point out that Jacinda Ardern's communication skills are kind of spectacular. So without descending into Jacinda mania, can you give us a bit of a reality check on that? I mean, is she genuinely better than the average bear when it comes to political communication? Well, I think a lot of people are saying that she is a great communicator, but a lot of that is coloured by the fact that they people feel grateful that she's saved their lives. So early in the pandemic, anybody who was going to provide what she did, a set of levels, a um, a set of instructions to people uh, and the appearance of somebody who knew what they were going to do through this, then people were going to follow every word, every action that she did because we were, we didn't know what we were facing. In a crisis, people look to leadership more than they normally do. And she stepped up and she showed that. So I think that pe- when people say, you know, she's a great communicator, that's what they're reflecting. Right. But is she one of the better communicators that we've had in terms of prime ministers? I think she's a good communicator, but I wouldn't say she's the best. I think one of the things that Jacinda Ardern has is a warmth about her, a softness of tone of her voice. She's attractive, she smiles, she just exudes a a sense of competence and confidence, I think. When she's speaking, sometimes she'll wobble from side to side when she's feeling a little bit out of her depth. But otherwise, she knows how to project and show that she's a leader. She knows what it is to present to be a leader. So very broadly then, what makes a good political communicator? Well, if we're talking about leaders, um, I think that there's a couple of things. One is that they have to be verbally articulate. Right, so they can't say lots of ums and ahs and uh, like me, uh, and have to think too deeply about what they're saying. It has to come out really fluently. The second thing is that they've got to know their material, so they have to be across just about any policy issue, prepared for something that's going to hit them from left field be able to answer it without stumbling and without people looking at them and thinking, oh, my God, they're making it up or they really don't know. And then the third thing is they've just got to look really competent. And that's kind of the X factor that leaders have to find. And the combination between all of those things is one of the reasons why political parties, when they change leaders, scroll through leaders quite a lot because they're looking for somebody who has the combination of all of those three. And it's quite hard to find. Mm. And I imagine some of those things you can learn, but some of them are just intrinsic. Yeah, instinctive. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, on paper, you wouldn't have thought that John Key was going to be a really good communicator, but he was. Nor did I say that either. (laughs) No. You are glowing, Ellie, for a particular reason, aren't you? Yes, that's right. Five five months along already. He had something that Helen Clark didn't have when he took over. He was... Despite being a millionaire, he was one of people thought that he had the common touch. He could interact with just about anybody from the common man on the street to a millionaire. And he knew his stuff. He sounded as if he knew about economics and finance matters at a time when that mattered in the global financial crisis. He was, you know, reasonably good looking and he wore nice clothes and he could speak really fluently without the need for notes. Jacinda, interestingly, does use prepared notes and speeches a lot. She's very concerned about getting information right. Key was much more of an ad libber. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it went down really strange avenues as a result, but he was really good on the fly, and that's really important. 
communication with the public is just one tool in the armory, if you like, of a successful politician. And you've also got to be able to build teams. You've got to you know, lead those teams. You've got to develop policy and deliver. So where does communication rank in importance? Well, it's really important. All of those things are very important. But this one is really important because it's about how the people, the people who vote, the people on whose behalf politicians act, the people get to judge whether their leaders are leading in the way that they want them to be leading. And because we can't have very intimate relationships with politicians, you know, unlike the old days where you could actually, I mean, and uh, there's a great story about Keith Holyoke having his phone number in the telephone book because anybody could actually ring him up and have a chat. So we don't have very intimate relationships with our prime ministers. And so how they appear, how they communicate to us through the radio, on TV, on social media is really important for us to feel that we are getting our money's worth out of who we voted in as our leaders. You've mentioned a couple of former leaders there, but can you think of examples of New Zealand leaders who were terrible communicators but still great leaders or conversely great communicators but terrible leaders? Yeah, there's a couple. Like Mike Moore. It's no secret that I've wanted to lead the Labour Party. Great communicator in that he was everywhere and everybody liked him and he was jovial and uh, he really enjoyed talking to people. But honestly, you couldn't understand a word the man said because he couldn't stop a sentence. He was one of those communicators that would just keep going and going and going and it required a lot of skill to be able to think, where is this man going with this? So... He was popular, but I think his communication style let him down sometimes. Jim Bolger. Oh, I think it's very clear that I have led New Zealand through the enormous transition from uh, the old first past the post to... He was a pretty shocking communicator. He stumbled on his words a lot. But in terms of policy, in terms of his control of Cabinet, in terms of his understanding about New Zealand, even though he was... Uh, and his government was pretty unpopular because they had to make hard decisions. But he was a popular prime minister, but not a great communicator. Whenever he went overseas, he would mimic oh, the accents of the leaders who he was meeting with. Um, quite endearing, but also a little bit kind of cringe making. So let's say you're a politician and you're up against someone who's got unusually good communication skills. How do you combat that? Oh, well, it's really, really difficult. And this is what... David Shearer found, it's what Phil Goff found. You know, as politicians and as people who were really interested in New Zealand, they had good backstories, they were committed, they had a vision, but get them in front of a camera or a radio and they started to freeze and they stuttered and you could almost see their eyes rolling back in their head as they were trying to remember their lines. The problem for them was that they were up against John Key, who was a very natural communicator. So what tends to happen is if you're in that situation that your political party isn't very tolerant of mistakes, and that's why, again, we've seen them go through. Um, Simon Bridges was another. uh, He was almost a casualty very early on in his leadership because he had a very broad New Zealand accent. Look, I'm holding the government to account on their taxes. They want to hold me to account on my accent. But interestingly, it did connect him with ordinary New Zealanders. Many of us speak with very broad accents. And so that wasn't such a problem, but it was on the verge of being a problem early on. So, Professor Robinson clearly knows what she's talking about when it comes to political communication. We were curious, though, how did she get into it in the first place? 
Well, way back in the early 90s, she was working for then National Minister Jenny Shipley as her private secretary for women's affairs. And back then, National had a communications problem because it was trying to push through some seriously unpopular policies. And so they brought in advertising agencies to advise them. And I was intrigued. I'd never even been aware that this sort of thing went on. Intrigued that you should get an advertising agency to try and sell a, an unpalatable political message. When she'd finished with her career in the public service, Claire went back to university. She'd studied politics before, and now she studied visual communication design. And she found, actually, it all kind of connected back to politics. And as I went on, I started looking at political advertising, and then that moved into broad areas of political messaging and how political leaders convey leadership. It's easy to think of political communication as a modern game, TV and targeted Facebook ads and spin doctors and so on. But of course, as Claire reminded us, politicians are always jumping on the latest technology, whatever that may be. Go back 80 years and uh, the Labour Party in 1938 had um, was communicating through an election film. It was the very first election film produced then and Michael Joseph Savage was standing in front of a camera doing exactly what our political leaders do now, but in a much more stilted and black and white way. But political leaders have always been the focus of election campaigns. Actually, Michael Joseph Savage used the radio really well because he was really frustrated that the news media wasn't covering his policies in the way that he wanted them to, and so he used the radio. Good evening, everybody. In this critical hour of our own and the world's history, I feel that I should abuse my privilege of addressing you if I were to speak of matters affecting myself personally. For that reason... He, in fact, nationalised the broadcasting service in order to have control over the airwaves, in order to make sure that Labour got their views across. So, yeah, it's really interesting going back that far. To today, uh, well, let's go to television. Um, Television has impacted greatly because all of a sudden people started having less tolerance for radio. When I say that, in the 1950s, the Prime Minister's political leaders, they were given hours and hours and hours of radio time. So two hours might have been a Uh, leaders' address to the people on the radio. Wow. By the time television came along, it meant that you couldn't stand there for two hours talking. Uh, So after television was introduced, political addresses to the people, ads got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter to the point now when, you know, social media, we're talking about things that are, you know, seconds, seconds to get your message across. And just a single image now on Instagram or Facebook has to convey everything that you want to convey. Politicians have always adapted to forms of communication, new media channels. Sometimes they're a bit slow in the uptake, but they're pretty good at watching what people are listening to and what they're watching and adapting. In your research, you talk about something called proxemic frameworks. Can you just broadly explain what they are, first of all? Yeah, so every culture has a different way of reading body language. And in the West, and I mean, we're generally Western culture still in New Zealand, 
we engage with people in actually only a few social dis- distances. So there are effectively four social distances. There's the intimate, which is the uh, the face-to-face, which you normally have when you are engaging maybe with your intimate partner or with your children. You know, you're only about 12 inches apart. It's quite close. And we read people's behaviour in terms of how we're engaging at that close level. Most strangers do not like to engage with another stranger face-to-face at that distance. We'll sit next to them, but we won't look at them. The next distance is the one-on-one, which is where you're having a conversation with somebody, but you're not, you know, not nose-to-nose. And so that has a different set of meanings in a social setting. Then there's a more social engagement where you are with a bunch of people. People behave differently when they're in a situation like that. And then there are social distances which are much further away. So when you are, when somebody might be speaking to a crowd. And so interestingly, when you start to look at how people engage, you do see that they are engaging with each other or other people in one of those four proximic distances. And Mm. proximic basically is a word for proximity. So researchers have looked into this. But what I looked at was, you know, what was the impact of these social distances on uh, people's impression of political leadership. And I, I've i discovered that to be a really good political leader, you have to be able to engage with people at all of those four distances and be seen to be competent at engaging at all of those four distances. Mm. And you write about how politicians try to mimic those distances and try and achieve those same outcomes yeah. that you would yeah. in, a, in a normal social context. So can you walk us through, yes. again, those those distances and how, how they do that? So yeah, let's, let's say intimate. Um, that is where uh, Facebook self-videos have come into their own because, and you can see this with Jacinda Ardern, she's very good at okay, this. Everyone. Thanks for joining me. And, of course, um, keeping up with the theme of the chairs of Premier House. At the um, end of the day... Most days, she will sit at home with her makeup off. She'll put her uh, phone up to her and she will do a Facebook chat with people at what is a pretty intimate uh, social distance. Isn't it amazing? The full cane number. When I came in, I think um, into. So we're far away from her. She's sitting in Premier House. You're sitting in Auckland. I'm sitting in the south coast of Wellington. But actually, we can be really intimate with Jacinda um, in, in her at aided by the fact that she is in her jammies in her home, you know. So this chair is definitely not leaving Premier House. I don't care how old it is. It's a very disarming method of communication because you can't be critical about it. She is interacting intimately with people and they feel drawn in to to the um, to the conversation, and you see in the little comments that come up, everyone goes, "We love you, Jacinda." Little hearts go bumping around the screen. You know, they lapping it up. People lap it up. They love it. Judith Collins is doing it, but not in the intimacy of her own Hi. home. I've been in Vicarco today, where I've met with people at a place called Yanka. She tends to talk to people on the move in the back seat of a car. John Key used to do that a lot, actually. Um, and so it's this, you get the feeling that they're moving somewhere important, but actually they have enough time to just 
have a little chat with you. So you're drawn into their very busy life, the, the life of a very busy political leader. And it's like saying, well, you know, this is, we're on our way to, and this is what's happening. And so it's, a, it's quite effective as a, as a method of communication. And it's similar to Jacinda's face-to-face, but a little, just with a Judith Collins touch to it. The next level, one-on-one, is really where we're observing uh, political leaders in an interview situation, say if they're on Q&A or The Nation or talking to a journalist that maybe videoed them. So we suddenly, as the audience, become observers. And what we're looking for is to see, you know, are they going to be tripped up by the interviewer? Are they going to start stumbling? Are they going to start sweating? Are they on top of their subject matter? Because that's what we really expect of our Prime Ministers, that they know absolutely everything. It's a very impossible ask, but that's what we want them to, to assure us that they do know that. So that's a really important social distance to convey leadership. And the next one is what you see a lot on the campaign trail, which is pictures of political leaders in factories and clubs on the street where they are meeting with small groups of people and they are showing, we are again looking at them, observing to see how they interact at a more casual level. Do people smile at them? Do people feel comfortable in their company? It just shows that they can communicate with ordinary people. Is it safe to say that that third one is perhaps one of the most perilous? Because I'm just thinking of all the pratfalls that politicians through, you know, my TV viewing history have, have had. It's always been in those circumstances. It's the um, the unfortunate hamburger. It's the... Um, yeah, the uh, sausage. Uh, the... To, the sausage, Tony Abbott eating a raw onion, you know. Yeah. Um, those uh, humiliating experiences with... Um, what was it, Don Brash walking across walking the gangplank, or, yep. or all of those disasters. Um, yep. So that, that seems to be perhaps one of the most dangerous places to be. Yeah, it is. And, and, and interestingly, it's one of the most important because it shows that some that, that leader can engage with ordinary people, but it is perilous because they're not in control of what goes on. Uh, Stephen Joyce being hit by the dildo. You know, these things are not very controllable. But on the other hand, they are what they might be humiliating and people will poke fun at them forever about that particular instance. It's not going to be the thing that makes or breaks a political leader. Although if you start adding them up, it does. So John Key has, there are images still, that people started showing more of of him drinking beer with Prince William, um, eating a sausage, flouncing around, uh, wearing his Air New Zealand uniform. Once they add up to a almost a book load of embarrassing gaffes, then it starts to get not so good for them. But those distances are the distances that they they love to show on their Facebook videos, on their ads, because it makes them look really popular and friendly. Hi everyone, I'm here with Nicola Willis, our MP who is in charge of education. And we're talking today at uh, New Plymouth. Uh, so yeah, very important. Um, and then the final distance is speaking in public. So it'll be the either the debate situation or standing up on in a campaign speech on a stage or as we are seeing now uh, with Jacinda Ardern in the Beehive, speaking to the nation from a podium. 
Now, the podium is a really interesting thing because this is an advantage that she has over Judith Collins or any of the other leaders, apart from Winston Peters, is that she gets to stand on the Beehive stage in front of the lectern, which is the place that all prime ministers have stood behind, which adds this symbolic aspect of importance to what she says. And good afternoon, everyone. I want to spend a little time uh, this afternoon. So those are fascinating because she reads every day. She will read from a prepared statement. Uh, and so actually the the skill is not necessarily hers alone, it is the people that are writing her um, her statements. And they, um, she obviously has some very, very skilled people in the in her office who are, who spend their mornings frantically writing up what she is to say. Um, so we can't attribute a lot of those words to her uh, alone, but she is, but they are very carefully crafted on behalf of, of her office. And she is the deliverer of those. That's really important because, again, that's the New Zealand public expecting information, uh, instruction, certainty, and that's what she provides in those prepared statements. Then she'll move into her the more challenging ones, which is which is that proximate distance four when you are when we are looking to see how she interacts at a very at a at a large distance and uh, and to pressure and. She's sometimes good at that when she knows the answers to something, but the moment she's uncomfortable about something, she'll she'll turn her head completely from from who she's talking to to somebody else. She'll cut them off completely. She'll use her hands and she'll do a little chopping motion as she moves because um, she's worked out when she doesn't necessarily know the answer to something and she'll deflect. So she's a pretty good deflector. Judith Collins can't access the beehive stage because she's not in government. But she is, if you start watching, she is now accessing the Legislative Council chamber. So she is making a lot of her public statements in an equally important background to show that she is she has the gravitas of being the opposition leader and the history of the New Zealand Parliament behind her. Well, another week and another working group set up today uh, with this government. The another National Party is now including a lot of video footage of her in Parliament because you know, now the Parliament's sitting for a few more weeks. They've got the opportunity to do this, where she is uh, really a... Challenging Jacinda Ardern and then coming back with really witty one-liners. And we, as a culture, as a political culture, we do like political humour a lot and we like political satire and we like political wit. And so when she comes back with these one-liners, that they do hit a nerve in people who think, oh, yeah, that's really clever. We like clever politicians. We like Judith Collins. So it is a, it is a good tool for her to be using um, while she can still do that in Parliament. There was one example that didn't quite fit within Claire's four frameworks, but in terms of political communication, it was one of the most significant examples delivered by a Prime Minister in generations, probably. And that's the speech we heard earlier, Ardern speaking on March the 21st, announcing the COVID alert levels, and also 
really putting the whole country on standby for lockdown. That's why today I'm going to set out for you as clearly as possible what you can expect. In terms of the proximate framework, um, it wasn't quite intimate. It wasn't quite intimate, no, because there is a sense that she was speaking to the whole nation. So it couldn't be like the Facebook but it was more like the one-on-one. So it was a, it was almost like Proxemic Framework 1.5, yeah. uh, where, <laughs> you know, between she was speaking to us uh, formally in an informal situation. We've talked a lot about Collins and, and about Ardern, but is there anyone else who's active in politics right now who has good communication skills? Winston Peters has very good communication skills when it comes to his social interaction with people. He's a very physically interactive person. He gets out and about a lot. He People like him. He's got this great smile, which is worth a lot. He talks nonsense when you actually try to listen to him. You know, he's a bit like Mike Moore in the sense that the way his mind and his words work go all over the place. You think, what is he saying? But actually, he always ends it with a smile or a chuckle and you get drawn back into liking Peter's the person. David Seymour was actually an interesting example. He was one of the first to use the Facebook live chat function back in 2017. And he would go around in the strangest of places and sit with fuzzy camera and out of focus and things. But that didn't matter because it was all about everybody getting to know David Seymour. He's much more wooden when he's interviewed or he's speaking. But when he's just ordinary David Seymour, he's pretty good at the medium. Um, who else have we got? James Shaw, not very good at at any of it actually he's he's very <laughs> well he's very wooden when he's being interviewed he's one of those politicians that does try and think too much i think it doesn't come instinctively from brain to mouth and so you don't ever get the impression that this is a man that's comfortable in his political leadership skin as a communicator Definitely in terms of having a vision for New Zealand, but it doesn't come across in the way that he communicates. Marama Davidson, I think, is a much more natural communicator. She doesn't appear to have the same breadth and depth of intellectual understanding about where New Zealand needs to go as James Shaw. Together, I think that they make a perfectly okay combination, but they're not as good as Rod Donald and Jeanette Fitzsimons, who were so natural at being green that You'd never even really had to think about them forcing communication. So this proxemic framework stuff, not to be silly, but does it apply only to humans? I mean, do primate groups have different modes for intimate chats versus public scraps or whatever? Yeah, it does, actually. It's called biopolitics. Political scientists internationally have looked at how our interaction with people is very much based on us as primates and how Mm. animals interact. Yeah, this is not necessarily something that can be manufactured by people who are experts in communication. It's just simply the way that we interact with each other. But having said that, other cultures have different social distances that are more acceptable. So we're, we're still very much based on how we interact in our tribe on the West uh, which has very kind of firm social distances. We're going through a pandemic. It's changing everything. How is it changing political communication? I don't know that it is. I think there's it's some interesting discussions around at the moment about 
whether we're going to be more science and evidence-based in our policy, and that's because obviously we're having to follow the science around the pandemic. But I think we're also in a period of time where worldviews are being challenged left, right and centre. And that is the thing that is really going to be challenging political communication. Whose voice is right? On what basis do we say that the leader is giving us the right instruction? And the conspiracy theory mob at the moment are the tip of this questioning of what right do you really have to say that I should wear a mask? You know, there is this questioning of authority that will challenge politicians over the next five to ten years. Mm. Claire, thank you very, very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. That was the Tick Tick podcast for Wednesday the 2nd of September. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Claire Robinson, Catherine George, Patrick Crudson, John Hartefeld and Carol Hirschfeld. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, anyone you want. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email ticktick at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support Stuff's journalism financially, go to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. We will be back on Saturday. Matiwa. 